Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? As we dive into His Word. Father in heaven, You are glorious. You gave Your Son the the expression of love that is incomprehensible. And all that He has done on our behalf is coming and living perfectly. Him laying down His life for us. His being risen from the dead. His ascension. And now He is seated at Your right hand where He rules and He reigns. Still loving us. So for all these things, we praise You. We ask, Holy Spirit, that You would illumine our hearts and our minds. That we would be transformed through this Word this morning. That You would not leave us the same. That You would, as a great master potter, mold and make us more and more into the image of Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. So we have been going through a short series, Back to the Basics. Uh, This is the third message of those. And Lord willing, we'll start a new sermon series next week on Colossians. Uh, And we'll get into that. It'll last about 15 weeks roughly. And then hopefully get on our way to um, Matthew. But this Back to the Basics theme that I've been trying to put before you as a congregation is not to say that we're just going to throw things out and just do these things and these things are more important, which they are. It is really to help us focus ourselves, to reorient ourselves, to look to Christ in all things and to utilize the means of grace that He has given to us. So two weeks ago, we talked about back to the basics, forward to fruitfulness. We looked at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. To see what the early church, that first church at Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what did they do? What did they rely on when it came to discipleship? Making disciples and maturing as disciples. And we see four pillars in there, four structures or foundations. The Word says that they devoted themselves, meaning they're all in to apostolic teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, a representation of worship and the Lord's Supper, and the prayers. Those were the back to the basics, only those were new for them, that they did. And so it's important for us to be doers of the Word, readers of the Word, learners of the Word, Because the Word of God is everything for life and godliness, Peter says in his second epistle. So we take those things and we're to learn Christ, to mature in Him. I made a comment a couple of weeks ago about you can read all kinds of books and devotionals and that's great, but there's nothing better than the Word of God. There's nothing that transfers the lost sinner from darkness into the kingdom of the Son other than the Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And to be transformed and conformed into the image of the Son, nothing does that better than the Word of God. Then last week, we, we spoke from Ephesians chapter 4. We, we saw the gifts that are given to the church. We talked a little bit about elders being teachers and that we are to learn the Word We're to mature in the Word and we're to speak the Word. 
But my emphasis might have been too much on elders last week. Not that they don't have that responsibility, they do. But it is, the church is an every member ministry. You are to be taught, you are to learn the Word of God, not only from elders, not only on your own, but in community with fellow believers. Building each other up in the most holy faith through the Word of God. Whether you read it one-on-one with someone, whether you read it individually, it doesn't matter. We learn that and we mature in that. And you're going to hear this basic over and over as we go forward. You'll be asked questions. Are you reading your Bible? Are, Are you part of a Bible study? What does your devotional life look like? We want you to mature in the faith. Why? Because it's an every member ministry. It is the maturing, the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. What is that work? Jesus said, go make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I've instructed you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So that's where we've been. Now this morning, we're going to focus in on that last of the four foundations in Acts 2.42. And that's prayer. That's prayer. So we are going to look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 3. And let me just say this. Martin Lloyd-Jones gifted preacher did a series a a commentary series eight volumes on Ephesians eight volumes and so on chapter 3 he did 24 sermons 24 now if you think of those being about an hour each that's a 24 hour day I'm not going to put you through that. I'm going to tithe his two in point four hours. You should you should be out of here. Now, I um, if if you want to dive into this, we we can't even begin to plumb the depths of this passage. I want to try to highlight enough of this though for your prayer life. One of the um, great doctrines that was recovered from the Reformation was the priesthood of believers. The priesthood of believers. Peter talks about it. It was our moment of reflection that believers in Jesus Christ are a royal priesthood. John in Revelation chapter 1 says that we are a kingdom of priests. Now, what do you think about when you think about priests? You think about the Old Testament you, you think about the priests that served in the temple. But it was the high priest that went in and one of the things that he did is lit incense that represented the prayers of the people. The priesthood of believers was recaptured in the Reformation and we need to recapture it ourselves. Prayer is reflective of our hearts It is the language of the kingdom along with the gospel. Prayer and the Word go together. God's Word to us is not a monologue. It isn't just Him speaking to us, although it is, and it's a living and active Word. 
But it, it enters us into communion with Him, into a dialogue. He speaks to us. We pray to Him. We, we pray for our needs that we have. Jesus says that He will fulfill all our needs according to His riches and glory. And we see that in our text here today as well. But the Word and prayer go together. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on this particular passage, he talks about a common phenomenon, he says, that all of us have. He regularly prays, and one of the people that he prays for is his mom. But he has this situation, when he starts to pray for his mom, he thinks about home. And when he thinks about home, all of a sudden he's thinking about high school. And then when he thinks about high school, he thinks about his 41 Ford that was primer gray and it had in script on the side in red, swing low, sweet chariot. And then he thinks about driving that car down to Huntington Beach to go surfing. All of a sudden he goes, wait a minute, I was praying. We do that, don't we? Our intentions start out to pray to God. And yet our mind begins to wonder, why? Why? One of the reasons is that we are not praying from Scripture. We are not responding to God. This, this prayer before us, I've entitled this message, Priestly Prayer. Paul is going to talk about three things. He's going to introduce us to prayer as if it's brand new to us. And then he's going to talk about the substance of prayer. That will be point number two. And then he'll talk about the conclusion or the doxology to his prayer. But it begins with the Word of God. Paul says in this passage, for this reason. Well, what's the reason? He has just laid out to the Ephesians church, chapter 1, chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. I think I summarized those a bit last week. But he lays out the indicatives, the facts of our salvation that are true for each and every one of us who believes in Jesus Christ. That's the basis of prayer. So now that God has made known to us His salvation, we as priests are to pray. But Paul wants to introduce how we're to pray. And that's where he begins with this idea. For this reason, I bow the knee. Now, it's, it's interesting that he's bowing the knee. The, the normal posture of prayer for Paul during his time was to be standing. So this should capture our attention that's a, a little bit different, that he's kneeling here. Kneeling had this representation of being solemn, reverent, and earnest. As I said a moment ago, prayer reveals the heart. It, it says a lot about us. How fervent we pray, how intense our prayers are, the content of our prayers... All of those things reflect our heart and our souls. So, Paul talks about this posture of kneeling. Now, Eric Alexander, one of my favorite preachers from Scotland, 
he says, yeah, you might think of this as physical, as a physical posture. But he puts forward that this is really spiritual. When I go to the Lord in prayer, I am bowing down in my heart. I am putting myself before the God of the universe and saying, you are great, I'm unworthy. And so when we, when we go to God the Father, which He points out here, in prayer, let us remember who He is, what He has done, reflect back on the Word that's been given throughout Ephesians. And so we bow down spiritually before Him, knowing that He is the one that we are dependent upon. And then we address Him as Father. Another important piece here. Who can call God Father? Again, only those who have been born again by the Spirit and have faith in the Son that have a relationship with Him, that can call Him, as Paul would say in Romans, Abba, Father, who can come to the One who grants all our needs out of His riches and glory. He is the Father of a family, of the church, of those who are in heaven who have gone before us, and those who are here on earth. The only thing separating this church, the church uh, triumphant in heaven, the church militant here on earth, the only thing that separates us is death. And so this is who we go forward and pray to. We have a great privilege in prayer. A great, great privilege. So Paul introduces this, that we have a Father who is over all things ready to hear. We are part of this family that our prayers are not just for us, they're for others as well, which Paul is going to get into. And so this is the introduction to his prayer. Now for the substance of his prayer. John Stott says that what follows is like a staircase. There's four steps that we will take and make our way upward the first of those steps will be that of strength. The second of those steps will be love. The third, knowledge. And the fourth, fullness. Each of these progressing further up, higher up. And so we look at this first. Paul begins to pray that we, the church should be strengthened in our inner being. To be strengthened through His Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. It's interesting that he speaks about strength here. Most of us, when we begin to look at strength, the first thing that comes to mind is that physical strength. Is it not? I mean, we, we get sick. We know we're weak. We get ill. We, we need strength to mend bones like Bill's legs. We, we think about those things and we want to pray that God would make us strong, that He would heal us and do those things. Now hear me. Prayer for physical things 
is not wrong. Prayer for physical things is not wrong. Say that with me. Prayer for physical things is not wrong. But there's a higher priority, brothers and sisters. Spiritual strength. That's why Paul is praying here that we will be strengthened by the Spirit in our inner being, in our hearts. Because the body that you have, the physical body you have, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and on, that this body is wasting away. It's decaying. It's not going to last. My hair is thin on top. It's gray. My skin is wrinkly. This body doesn't go to heaven, brothers and sisters. Your body doesn't go to heaven, brothers and sisters. It's not wrong to to pray about physical things. And we should do that. But the part that does, the Spirit within that has been resurrected by the Holy Spirit, that has been given new life, that gets the resurrected body. So why wouldn't we pray for our spirit, our soul, our inner being, our hearts, our minds, our wills, our desires, those things that are to be more Christ-like, why wouldn't we pray for those? For one another. That we would become more and more like the image of God, Son, to go with that resurrected body. That's the strength that He's asking us to pray for. Not physical strength, but spiritual strength. And that spiritual strength is the strength that is given through Christ's love. That's the second step. We talk about that first step of being the strength. We pray for one another's spiritual strength. Now let's take a step and let's move up higher. Let's talk about praying for love. Our own love and our love for one another. Paul says here in verse 17, that that this love is what we are to be rooted and grounded in. Paul is a master of using mixed metaphors. Maybe some of you grammatical people go, he's not supposed to do that. But he does. He purposely, he puts two of them forward. He puts an agricultural metaphor and he does an architectural metaphor. And he does so for a purpose. He speaks about being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted being the architectural example that is given. When you see a tree that's maybe 30 feet tall, what you don't see is the root structure underneath. If we have a storm or bad weather or things, sometimes you see a tree that's toppled over. And the roots are broken off. There's not much left. But those trees that stand throughout time have a firmness to them. That that those roots go down not only deep, but they go wide. They tap into the soil. And what Paul wants us to do is be like that tree that our roots go down deep, that we're tapping into the soil of Christ's love for us. 
What does that look like? It looks like everything that has proceeded in his writing up to this point. So we want to be deep down, rooted. When I was at Texas Tech, I was a saddle tramp. What a name, isn't it? Saddle tramp. We used to do um, recruiting, um, both academic and sports recruiting. We would work with the sports programs. But we would do academic recruiting. We'd do the bus tours and everything else. And there was a seal on the campus. This, this marble seal. I think it's about eight feet across. And you see that. What you don't see is what anchors that seal. And the interesting bit of trivia is when they made the foundation for that, it's Texas Tech is a double T. And it's a double T that's upside down. And it actually goes twice as deep as that seal is above the earth. It has a firmness. It has a stability. For Christians, our firmness and stability comes from being rooted in Christ's love. The other aspect that we're supposed to have is this grounding. And this is the architectural example that's done. That Christ being that chief cornerstone, if you're built on that foundation that you're going to be straight. The edifice won't lean. And it will have a sure foundation. Donald Gray Barnhouse talks about the importance of love. Of being rooted and grounded in love. And he brings up the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5.22. You know that. Where it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. But Donald Gray Barnhouse says love is singular there. Love is the key to the fruit of the Spirit. That it all starts on love. Everything that follows that fruit of the Spirit, singular fruit, is all based on love. He says, without love... You have nothing. But with love, joy is the singing of love. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering is love enduring. That kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. And self-control is love holding the reins. That love is the love we need to be rooted and grounded in. That is the love of Christ. Stott says we should at this point take another step upward. This step is knowledge of the love of Christ. We want to be rooted and grounded in His love, but we also want a knowledge of His love. And verse 18 says, May be, uh, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of His love. That word comprehend has this idea of knowing, knowledge. It means to grasp something, to seize it, to appropriate it to yourself. 
It, it means that we are a thinking people. Christians are thinking people. We're thoughtful people. We are educated people in the Word of God. We are to comprehend and consider what is taught in the Word of God. Now, when it comes to comprehension, the finite mankind, even saved, cannot begin to comprehend the God of the universe, our triune God. You can't fit it all within us. And yet God, by His grace, makes Himself known. He gives us the exact measure that we need. This idea of knowing Christ requires us to do work. That's why we want to be in the Word of God. That's why we want to learn the the Word of God. So we learn more about Christ. That we mature in Him and we make disciples. This comprehension that takes place that we need to know. Paul puts it in four words here that is speaking of the dimensions of the love of Christ, if you will. This breadth, this length, this height, and this depth. It has been said that the love of Christ is broad enough to save of every nation, tribe, and tongue in the world. That its length is long enough because it is from all eternity. That its height is so high that it can take us up to heaven itself to be seated with Christ. That its depth is enough to reach down to the lowliest, to the chief of sinners. That's the love of Christ. That's what He wants us to comprehend. Brothers and sisters, this prayer started out with Paul bowing before the Father. The only ones that can bow before the Father are the elect. I know that's a word that most people don't like to hear, election. But let me put it in a concept that you not only should understand, but embrace. Do you realize that in chapter 1 of Ephesians, it says of every one of us who will believe that we were elect before the foundation of the world. That means that God in Christ loved us then. Loved us then. And will love us all during human history. And will love us throughout all eternity. That's how long the love of Christ is. Can you imagine? If you just take Scripture as it's, it's written, forget about how old the earth is and all that kind of stuff. Just if you take Genesis when it was written and on now. We're, we're somewhere around 6,000 years. That, that's something that we can grab a hold with. That's tangible. God has loved you more than that for that length of time. My wife and I in May of this year will be married 40 years. 40 years. My love for her, her love for me does not compare to the love of Christ for me. Because before He said, let there be light, He says, I love you. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? So when we pray as the people of God, we we are to pray for inward strength so that we can be more like Christ. We are to pray for the love of Christ for us 
and for one another. But we're to pray that this love of Christ Himself, we would begin to comprehend it. And the reason to comprehend it is to have more of the fullness of Christ. That's the fourth step. That's one more step up. The fullness of Christ. Now talk about a mind bender. How do you even begin to have the fullness of Christ? Kent Hughes uses an example since he was a Southern California guy. And he talks about going out to the ocean. And he talks about the ocean being so much more. I I can't find any container that can fit the fullness of the ocean into that container. He says, I can take a mason jar and I can scoop up some of the Pacific Ocean. And and there's an idea of, well, now that container is full of what is representative of the ocean. And that, that's not a bad analogy to, to use fullness, that, that that which we can contain. But I was reading through the Valley of Vision, Puritan prayers. It, it, they take a little bit different tack on that. That they put forth the analogy of a fish in the ocean. Now we can't take in all the ocean. But that, like that fish, we can swim in it to no end. That, that, that we can experience Christ new over and over and over again. Every moment, every day, a more full picture of who Christ is represented in a whole new way. We will spend all eternity before our triune God, soaking Him in. Understanding His love more and more, like that fish in the ocean. This, this fullness that we are to have. John Stott puts it this way. He said, we've prayed for the strengthening and dwelling of Christ. We've prayed to be rooted and grounded in love. And we've prayed that we may know the love of Christ in these dimensions and that we may be filled up with it. He said, this staircase that we are on, that we have been climbing, now that we're on the fourth step, we can turn around and look back. And we are struck by what appears to be audaciousness on Paul's part. How, how could you possibly pray this? But how can we possibly not? Paul's prayers are not small. They are large. Our prayers should be large. The doxology that he's going to go to in a moment. Do you, do you pray for things that are exceedingly, abundantly above all you can ask or think? Do you pray that way? Do, do you pray for the soul of your neighbor? Do you pray for the soul of a son or a daughter? Do you pray for the soul of a family member? Do you pray for the soul of a workmate? With expectations that God in Christ will be superabundant to answer that prayer. Do you pray that way? From this fourth step, looking back down, we have inner strength. We have love that we're rooted and grounded in. We begin to understand the dimensions of Christ's love for us and this idea of fullness. 
These are great petitions to have and great petitions to ask for. This fullness, what it comes down to is to be more and more and more like Christ. At a previous church, I've talked about this gentleman before, Howard Pryor. He was an elder there. Howard Pryor had a glow, had a radiance. He was so in love with Christ. When I think about the Old Testament and it talks about Moses and being before him on Mount Sinai and his face shone, that was Howard Pryor. Howard Pryor, you would go and you'd greet Howard and he would talk about Jesus. Now this is a man that the body was wasting away. He was much shorter than he was earlier in life. The muscle tone's gone. But the inner man, the heart of Howard Pryor, was growing, becoming more stronger, becoming more like Jesus. That his prayer life was that that was intense. That it was fervent. That it was frequent. That he prayed for the church regularly. We could all learn from Howard Pryor. Well, this last portion is the conclusion. It is, for Paul, wrapping things up. But he does so in a manner that is doxology. I've been talking about the superabundance of God to answer our prayers. That these prayers that go to Him, He is able. John Stott puts it this way. He says, God's staircase has seven steps out of this final text in verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. He said the first is, step for God is that He is able. He is able because of His omnipotent power. He's not idle. He continues to do the work. The second is He is able to do what we ask for. He hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. He is active. The third step, He is able to do whatever we ask or think. How many times have you had thoughts that you didn't utter in prayer? Only to find out later that that prayer has been answered. That's what God does. Not only is He able to do, not only able to answer what we ask and what we think, but He does all of it. All of it. There's nothing too hard for Him. And then He does more. Oh, but wait, there's more. He exceeds what we ask for. He does more, another step, abundantly. Further up, further in. And then He does far more. God is immeasurable in His love towards us. Well, may we be strengthened through our prayers for ourselves and for one another. May we begin to be rooted like that tree's roots down into the soil of Christ's love and be built upon Him like a straight edifice that won't fall. The storms may come, but we're built on the rock of Christ. We stand. 
And then our love can continue to grow as we understand how vast it is, these dimensions of Christ's love, and begin to be filled up with Christ. Well, if you're here and you don't know Christ in that way, I pray that you would consider Him this morning, that you would think about this abundant love that is demonstrated in God's own Son, becoming man like us, yet still fully God, living a life sinless, laying his down, down His life for us in His sacrifice, that we might be freed from death, shedding His blood for our forgiveness, raised to newness of life that we have in Him as we believe in Him. Well, as I close out this morning, let me close with this prayer from the Puritans. Will you pray with me? Father, You have taught us that Christ has all fullness and so all abundance of the Spirit, that all the fullness that I lack in myself, in ourselves, Christ has. And He has it for His people, not just for Himself alone. He having perfect knowledge and grace and righteousness gives me of that fullness. So it is my duty out of a sense of the emptiness that I have to go to Christ. To enjoy His fullness as my fullness. That I myself, that we ourselves, because of Him, can have the fullness of Him. O Lord, would You establish us in Christ. Settle us. Assure us with certainty that all the fullness of Christ is ours. For only this will fill our hearts with joy and peace. Amen.